creating cyberspace and welcome to episode 256 of the double density podcast with your host brian angelo double density is your home to tech tales and paranormal primers now first things first angelo i don't know i like the number 256 right what do you think about that i mean it's the amount of ram or storage it's the amount of storage i had on my imac 27 inch so pretty cool it's half the amount of storage i have on my current computer <laughs> uh and that is uh gigabytes not kilobytes correct gigabytes yeah i remember back in the day my first computer with a hard drive in 1991 had a 50 megabyte hard drive yeah 15 of those megabytes were taken up by wing commander 2 (laughs) and the rest was windows 3.1 i did not have windows 3.1 on that computer i had dos 5.0 and something called geoworks ensemble you can look it up oh yeah classic i might put it in the show notes it's what came with all magnavox brand computers Oh, GeoWorks, yeah, yeah, classic. I um, and I had a one-speed CD-ROM with a CD caddy in that thing. So I was an early adopter of the CD-ROM. Oh, I see. Wait, you said ninety-one, right? So nineteen ninety-one. You were six. No, no, you were four. <laughs> no, six. I was six. Six. Okay. Yeah. You're yeah. You were born in yeah. no. Windows three point one came out a year later. So yeah, and I, I never I yeah I didn't get Windows until my next computer which was i guess in 97 i got i think a compact presario oh a classic. I, I mean i can Another go classic. over all my computers right like i had yeah. the magnavox i mean i guess my first computer was a ColecoVision atom but do we really count that no <laughs> mine was a three color cga wow. like running dust four i think yeah, I remember those, like, the whole different types of monitors and oh, yeah. uh, graphics types. Like, I would look at uh, computer gaming magazines, and it would tell you it would run in VGA, CGA. Yeah, uh, EGA. Were EGA, the three yeah, the, yeah. And then monochrome. Yep. Yeah, yeah. I was slightly above monochrome with the CGA, but not by much. Um, I always looked at those gaming magazines, especially the computer ones, and looked at the, the full-color VGA ones and EGA ones, and I used to get really mad that I didn't have those computer, uh, uh, that hardware as like a seven-year-old. Or six-year-old, sorry. It would get really annoying, too, because there was so much to think about. It's That's why I always gravitated towards consoles. I mean, you would shove in the cartridge or the yeah. disc, and it would work. Yeah. Or not work. Or not work. It was a binary. I mean, yeah. Well, it either, I mean, if you took a... Either you return it to the store or it works. Yeah, yeah. But or like if you took a Sega Genesis cart and tried to shove it into a Super Nintendo, that would not work. No, correct. (laughs) Versus like the joy and pain of, uh, you know, uh, uh, making sure you have the right graphics card set up as well as the uh, the right sound set up, right? Having your Sound Blaster sound card um, set up properly in order to be able to to run that properly in order to listen to the very um, minimal uh songs or sounds or music plus whatever sound effects you want to hear the aforementioned wing commander 2 was what prompted me to get a sound blaster card because i heard how wing commander sounded at my friend's house who had a sound blaster and that blew my mind all the things we had to think about back then with computers and even so much so as like oh is uh you know is it pc or mac compatible like i mean even file formats were completely incompatible back then Oh yeah, there's so many too, right? And now that's that hardly factors into anything anymore, really. The only time I see different file formats is uh, with the static stuff. So I'm talking like if I'm creating a graphic or something, right? Then I get to pick the file extension and the best one. But apart from that, like, yeah, I just uh, you know you double click and you're good to go. And I mean, it doesn't really matter what type of computer you're on, right? If you're on a PC or a, or a Mac, the only things that don't really open are apps, right? If a Mac a Mac app is 
is a Mac app and on a Windows file, it's an executable, right? Is that the yeah. thing in Windows? I don't know. I haven't used Windows in ages, but you put an exe file on a Mac and it won't work. Yeah, it's super annoying. Uh, the only other thing that I, um, uh, it came across during our time off was I bought, I tried to, like, I bought a couple of games on Steam for my Mac OS. And it turns out my computer's too new to run them. They're 32 bit binaries, right? Yeah. 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 I have Portal on Steam and my kids wanted to give it a try. So I installed Steam on my MacBook. And no, you can't run Portal, unfortunately. No, exactly. So I was a little bit ticked off that I spent 10 bucks on Left 4 Dead. Super excited to shoot some zombies, did not do that. Instead, I'm playing a bunch of like 2D stuff. There's a game called uh, Peglin I'm playing, which is just uh, it's an interesting kind of like roguelike pinball game, I guess would be the best way of calling it. That is weird. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. And then uh, another game called Broforce, which is just a another roguelike. It's a 2D shooter with all of the action stars of yesteryear, but with like their bro names instead of Blade. It's like Braid, you know, uh, anywhere that you could put in the word bro for a character it happens. Instead of Raiden, it's Broden. I find it funny that Vampire Survivors runs perfectly and something like Portal can't run at all. I know, I know. The only thing I do not, like, one of the things I do not miss, actually, about older computers is the trackball under your mouse. That was a nightmare to clean. You had to clean your mouth. mouth. Well, I mean, clean both. Using alcohol and a Q-tip to clean yep. the little oh, yeah, wheels yeah, yeah. inside of there because they would get yeah. really gunked up. Yeah, and then, like, the, the sensors themselves, you sort of had to, like, lightly brush against to make sure that they were connecting properly. I don't miss wires either. No, I don't. I mean, I have one, but it's fine. Yeah, I, I, I mean, sometimes, I mean, you have to, I actually, my mouse cannot be used wired because Apple has put the adapter for the mouse underneath it. So it looks like a harpooned whale when you <laughs> charge it. Let's talk about Apple for a bit, Angela. Let's talk about the impending release of the Apple Vision Pro, which comes out February 2nd with a price tag in the US of $3,500. So this is a VR headset, AR headset, mostly an AR headset, that uh, is touting a bunch of uh, random things. None of them hitting the mark, though. There's a few things going on here. Is it a cool product? I think it'll, it'll be amazing. The problem is it's a cool product priced way out of most people's pricing ranges, right? As with anything like this, coming out fresh, there's going to be a lot of half-baked things in there. Just like the Apple Watch, but the Apple Watch, when it came out, I got it right away because, first of all, in the grand scheme of things, it wasn't that expensive. And I wanted to have something new. And it wasn't too, too bad. But this, it's a big unknown. And an unknown for three or $400, that's one thing. An unknown for 10 times that? No, a hundred. yeah, 10 times that? 10, 10, yeah. Yeah, not good. Yeah, let's talk about wants and needs, right? So uh, in, if I were to drop a list of like wants and needs, like I need a computer, I need a phone, I want to watch, I want a headset, right? And, and like, I think that's in the order of preference. Definitely. And a want at two, three, four, five, six, even $100. If you save up for it and you can, you can justify it or you're not going to go into debt for it, great. A want at $3,400, you're going to have to really want that. Let's talk about uh, use cases, right? So, like, you know, your computer, vital. You can do a lot of things on there. Your phone, vital. You can do a lot of things on there. Talk to me about using the Apple Watch for a bit. Like, what, what, what activities do you undertake on your Apple Watch that you consider, like, the essential activities? Well, first of all, I like being able to tell the time. I've yeah, always, well, yes. And I've always liked digital watches since I was a kid, but mechanical watches are kind of cool. Did you ever have a Casio, like one of the Casio ones, classic Casio-looking ones? 
I had so what were the triathlon ones? Were that, those were Timex, I think. You know the yes. ones I'm talking about. Yes. They're kind of yeah, like yeah. rounded, and I had those. Yeah. I had a Casio calculator watch. I had one of those Timex glow in the dark, like the super cool ones in the late nineties. I'd have to go dig up what they look like, but yeah, yeah, I, I know what you're talking, talking about. about. Yeah, so those, and that was like that. And then I kind of stopped wearing watches. Then, as a wedding gift, I got a really classy mechanical watch that was quite expensive. I mean, not did it Rolex. come with a monocle? No, but not Rolex expensive. But uh, I'd say about double the price of an Apple Watch. But I mean, it just does one thing: it tells the time. It tells the time really well. It's a really nice watch. But I also don't feel super comfortable walking around with it. But I guess people walk around with twenty thousand dollars Rolexes. So yes, and Patek watches and yeah. stuff like that. Yeah. But the Apple Watch intrigued me because I, I like being able to track my fitness as well. Obviously, tell the time, track fitness. I love that. I will get a notification on my watch and my phone never dings or does anything. Right. I, because of my watch, I look at my phone less. Although, yeah. yes, you might say, oh, you, you look at your watch. But I've learned to ignore Not it. Not the same way. Yeah, I've learned to yeah. ignore it. Uh, because at first, yeah, I would be tempted to kind of look down. And if you're talking to somebody, it's like, oh, am I boring you? But I like having notifications. My phone never makes any noise. And it's, I mean, that was one thing I kind of liked about the iPhone 15 plus, no, iPhone 15 pro because of the, they got rid of the switch because that switch, yeah. I would turn it off and never turn it back on. Now yep. having a button there that I can change the the function of is kind of cool because otherwise that, that switch, which was great. I liked having it, especially if you turn your silence mode on and off. I don't do that too often. And no, if I need to, I just scroll down to control center and tap on the little bell because that's where it is now. So yeah. it's on an iPhone 15 Pro. You don't have, you have a, an extra thing in your control center where it's like a, a bell that shows if right. you're on or off with your silence mode. But what you're talking about here are all practical things, right? Very so practical, like the, the exactly. Like, and like, so through the lens of practicality, when you look at the Vision Pro for 3,500 bucks, like there's not a lot there. You no. can access Word, Google, like not even Google Docs as of yet from what I can tell. Um, uh, touting like uh, like uh, Disney Plus, right, as like a, a thing to watch. But like, listen, like the battery life is two hours. Yeah. Most and- movies will run you like 90 minutes, right? So even if that were the case, still not an optimal um, setup right now. A lot of people are waiting for the second gen to see um, um, better battery life for that non-pro model maybe you know for the regular consumer because but what does that I, look like what is that what is the what are the, the changes I, like i don't know i think the technology will get better right like things will be able to be less expensive because at this price point yeah i think it'd be amazing to be surrounded by a movie that seems like a really cool concept and i'd love to try it but i i don't think i'd ever get one at well no i'd never get one at this price right it's it's no i agree i mean i'm i'm one that doesn't even spend that much on a on my main tv i i i spent under a thousand dollars on my tv mind you i spent over that for my display i'm looking at right now but i felt like for something like the display which i'm using day in and day out for work and for my own personal projects i think was worth it and and let's you know a computer display if you get a good one, will last you seven, eight, nine, ten yeah, years, exactly. maybe, right? Like exactly. my iMac is still going strong, and this is technically the same panel. So, uh, yeah, I, I felt that was worth it. The Vision Pro, yeah, seems really cool, but again, not not ready for the regular consumer. And yeah. I don't consider myself a prosumer or a pro or anything. I'm a regular consumer of this stuff. 
not for me just yet. Again, if I was rich, yeah, no problem, I'd buy it. But I can't, I can't justify spending no. what is several mortgage payments on that. On headgear, right? That's just AR equivalent. Has a bad, bad. Let's talk about a couple, a couple of things, right? So one of the first things I want to talk about is a literal barrier to entry, which is like you cannot wear glasses with this. So with the Vision Pro on top of the thirty five hundred bucks, you are either paying a hundred to one hundred and fifty bucks for these uh, Zeiss optical inserts, too, yeah. right? So on top of everything else, if you need glasses, and like let's be honest, uh, according to statistics, forty eight percent of the world needs glasses right now. Not a great look. Yeah, both of us are wearing glasses right now. I can actually get away without wearing glasses. I don't have a particularly strong prescription, but it changes my vision enough that I do like to wear them. Technically, no. I don't... So my optometrist was telling me that I don't really need glasses by law to drive. He said, but this is why there are so many accidents, because... Because yeah. of people like you not wearing glasses. Yeah, and... If I didn't have my glasses at night for for distance, it'd be terrible. The thing is, as I age now, I have to kind of like lift my glasses up when I'm looking at my phone. And this is a new thing in the last few months. And my wife saw me do this and she made fun of me because she's, my wife does not have a good vision without her glasses. It's an eye condition called a presbyopia, Angelo. And it happens to everyone. It happens to 99% of the population. Basically, what happens is after the age of 40, your uh, lens elasticity starts to wear down, which means that your um, close vision uh, becomes worse. And I know this because I've worked many years in the eye industry, so I can tell you all about that. For me, it's not a big deal because I usually try and read without my glasses. I've never been able to use my glasses for reading, but I didn't need to take them off. Now I kind of like have to take them off, and it's yeah. annoying. All right, let's talk about the next roadblock here, and this is something that is covered in the Verge article uh, by David Pearson titled The Vision Pro's First Killer App is the web, whether Apple likes it or not. So there are uh, various arguments, of course, occurring right now between um, Apple and a lot of, um, uh, you know, uh, content suppliers, including Spotify, Netflix, etc., that they don't want to pay the 30% that is um, pretty standard on the App Store, right? The, the price that is paid, even if you are buying a subscription on the app itself in Apple, you still have to give that money back to Apple. Yeah, some sweet deals there with Netflix. I think they only pay 15%. But... It seems to me that the Vision Pro is a more Mac-like approach for apps than the phones and tablets, right? Because on your Mac, if you want to watch something on Netflix, you don't have a Netflix app. You just go to the web. You don't have... I, there are, I actually don't have any apps for watching most content on my nope. Mac. It's, I don't either. The only one that exists for me is the Apple TV one, right? If you go to Apple TV, you have... You use that to watch Apple TV shows, yeah. but everything else goes to the web. And it's not a great experience, to be honest with you, Brian. Like, they're not. So, for example, if I want to watch something on Disney Plus, I have my MacBook Pro has a great screen, better than my TV for HDR, almost as good as my phone, I feel. Disney Plus on the web, not HDR. <laughs> Netflix that, is, yeah. Though. Yeah. No, I know. And that's the, that's the only thing, too, right? So, in order to be able to access this, like, um, Apple has kind of like do a deal with the devil a little bit because like let's be honest like Safari as a web browser even though it's improved is not nearly um, as comprehensive in terms of like uh, different features and things like that like Chrome or even Firefox at this point right so it's it's lagging behind on a lot of that and I watched a video recently about how um, the web tabs look on Safari in Vision Pros and like it's just 
it's it, it doesn't compel me to do anything. I am a Safari user though on my Mac, which isn't probably shocking to you. Uh, I do feel it's faster than Chrome or Firefox in most cases. And what I do like about Safari is I have the private relay running with that for mm-hmm. privacy. Not that I like, you know, we we discussed it before. Like, I don't really need that privacy, but I, you know what? I like not being tracked, and it's part of iCloud, so I might as well use it. Yeah. Um, the other thing I noticed the other day was I, I had done some changes to my DNS server, and I was just testing the IPv6, whatever that's called, right? Mm-hmm. Like, the, and mm-hmm. Chrome doesn't support that. So when you test it on Chrome, it fails. We've tested on Safari, it passes. It's weird. I don't, but. I'm not a network engineer or anything, so I don't really know how that works. It might might have to do more with the hardware that you're using, perhaps. No, no, it's not the hardware, because it's weird that it passes on the Safari and doesn't pass on Chrome. But hey, who cares? It doesn't really matter. (laughs) I'm I'm just saying... It doesn't really change much. Yeah, that's just to say, I use Safari, I like it, but I can understand people having choices, and I think Firefox and Chrome are in the works for Apple Vision Pro, but like we've said, this is a new, brand new product. It's probably going to suck for like a few months at least. Yeah, I feel like Apple like okay, so like let's let's talk about the the competitor, right? The big one right now is Meta, right? The Quest 3 is coming in at 500 bucks. Yeah. A little cheaper as a headset. A little a little bit cheaper, right? And uh not as restrictive in terms of the app usage either, right? So it's it's much more beneficial and almost like I feel like this almost will boost the profile of the Quest by osmosis when people start looking around and finding out that this exists. Yeah, because the other competitors right, like we can't really consider the PS VR too no. really because that's mostly for games if i had to buy a vr headset that's the one i'd buy because i it's it's simplest it's simpler i already have an account with playstation i wouldn't want to make an account like i try to stay away from facebook as much as possible so i don't really or meta right like, i don't want to i don't want to get mark angry by calling it facebook but i don't really want an account there and i think you do have to create a facebook account to be able to use the meta Whatever it's called. What is it? Meta Vision? Quest. What is it? Meta Quest. Quest, <laughs> Quest 3, yeah. The old yeah. Oculus. Meta Vision Quest. Quest. A Vision Quest. Yeah. <laughs> the DLC. Yeah. So here's my pitch to you, right? And I think that, like, um, this will, I think, land with a resounding thud for the first 18 months, right? Until the that second gen appears. That long, right? Until a clear second gen appears. Okay. Like, I'm not even talking about, like, a regular vision. I'm talking about the second Vision Pro that, like, is maybe 3K now, right? Because it's priced so high for the fact that enthusiasts will buy it and they're not going to run a bunch of them. Right. So they've marked it up appropriately, I think. Um, and I think that like there will be a price decrease as it becomes more normalized. Now my pitch to you though, is I do feel like this is a perfect opportunity to go straight B2B on this business to business. Right. So I think this is like a perfect way of, um, uh, businesses collaborating together on a number of projects, especially like aesthetic design ones. Right. So being able to get like in a quote unquote, like room together when you're remotely working together on a project, I think, I think that like that is the use case that makes the best sense right now. And unfortunately, like, <laughs> um, Slack teams, like all of that is already there, right? All of these business tools yeah. are there. I think that if they were to pivot slightly after the initial launch and say like, this is the perfect business collaboration tool, I feel like there would be way more adoption there, especially with people who need to collaboratively work together from like all across the world. I feel like there is, um, that is the, the killer use case, but unfortunately it also limits their audience inherently by the nature of it. Yeah. They, and they can't even make that many of these, right? So these things are going to be selling out, but they're not going to be, they're not going to be making millions upon millions like they do with the the iPhone. No, there's not, there's not the market, but there, this is going to sell as much as it could sell. 
right? It's not going to, these are not going to be languishing on shelves. That's for sure. They're going to be selling them because there's a market for expensive products, right? Like, I mean, people buy $10,000 Mac studios, but, but there's those are very specific cases. And there's a lot more you can do. Coming back to wants versus needs, though, like that is more of a like a, a, a need. need than a want yes. in some cases, yeah. right? Especially if you are working as a graphic designer and you have to do make sure that your Pantone colors are all aligning or whatever, oh, right? Absolutely. Something like that. That makes sense. Or if you're doing high end, if you're doing 4K video editing or things like that, right? So there's practical uses there versus like the AR VR combo here is like what you can uh, I don't know uh, open up a Word. Yeah, a no, I, I keep hearing this is basically just a, a fancy developer kit. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, like Apple, like this is Apple's kind of like sacrificial lamb to enter into this space, and like I know they probably looked, you know, I mean, they want to position themselves a certain way, right? They can't compete on cost right now, and that's clear. Like, if they were to come yeah. out with a seven hundred dollar VR piece, like headset, it would not be great. And also, a lot of the time, a lot of people still probably recognize that it's cheaper and better to go with Meta, uh, the Quest Three, because they've been doing this for a while. Yeah, I mean, look, there's little things that no no other company is doing. For example, the fact that there's a of like a screen on the outside for people to see your eyeballs, which is super yeah. weird. And I'm assuming that future iterations of this in terms of the non pro models won't have that. No, I agree, which is fine. I, like, I still like, and we've talked about AR, right? But you know, Apple's been sort of like talking about that in the fringes of their presentations for years and years, right? Since we've started Definitely. doing this podcast seven years ago, it's been a whole thing. And yeah. I, I don't think that they've cracked the case necessarily on, and I do mean that, uh, you know, Pun-wise, I don't think they've cracked the case on uh, on use cases that fit into everyday life no. necessarily. Like it's the same thing as like buying like a two thousand dollars soundbar, right? It's like it's great for the experience, but it's not. Once again, it's want, not an, an Apple need. Yeah, I I mean, I wanted a soundbar because, like, between you and me, uh, TV speakers are not uh, the best. So, mm-hmm. but I did not spend like I, I all the research I did for soundbars. They're like, yeah, get the Sonos Arc. I'm not spending $1,800. I'm not spending <laughs> more Arc. on the soundbar than I did on my TV. So I bought a Sony soundbar for, like, I think under $500, and it sounds fantastic. So, Well, there you go. Yeah. And with that, Angelo, I feel like we've closed the case on the definitive argument for and against, mostly against the uh, Apple Vision Pro. So let us head on over. Oh, you want to say something else? Well, I was going to say, like, we'll talk about it more when I receive the pre-order I made this week. <laughs> when you spent the almost four like the yeah, four thousand dollars yeah the- we, we can't even buy it here in canada just yet so no, i think exactly, there's a, yeah. i think I, I heard a a hypothesis about that being behind the whole lens thing because it's borderline medical right uh right you, you i think there's issues with that and that has to be regulated first but yeah let's yeah. let's head on over well, to I was the- gonna say, like there's a whole there's a whole like if you go to the their faq there's a whole section on like can i use my insurance to get the zeiss lenses and the oh lots. wow it's case by case, so yeah. uh, ask your insurance provider. And I did. I cracked my voice on purpose there. I wasn't accidentally doing that. I was doing that on purpose. Well, let's go to paranormal, like you said. <laughs> Sounds good. Easy there. Hello. I'm a computer. I'm a computer guy. Everything made out of buttons and wires. Double density. Welcome back to Double Density. As always, we're switching gears from tech to the paranormal. So we have one thing on the docket and one thing we love to talk about. It's a good cryptid, right, Angela? You and I love talking about cryptids. Specifically, though, I want to talk about lake monsters. And so there was an Atlas Obscura article by Colin Dickey that came out a couple of days ago all about the North American lake monster. And I I thought it was really interesting because you and I have talked about, you know, we live kind of near Champ. We kind of, you know, we live near 
all these other kind of cryptos around here in the world. Um, and then of course, right? Memphrey. That, well, yeah. yeah, Memphrey, Champ. Um, not so much Nessie. That's a, that's the other part of the world. And like, honestly, like that's the only cryptid I am aware of in that part of the world that is lake based. Yeah. There's so many lakes, but you're, you're right. There's nothing really that comes out to me of existing over there. And like the, to be, to be very clear, like lake monsters have existed for centuries. The concept of not necessarily the, the body themselves, but the concept of, right? So the article makes mention of, you know, explorers 500 years ago landing here and like finding large fish that they may have misinterpreted the size. And like at one point in the article, they mentioned the, the notion of the, the lake surgeon, like the very large fish. Have you ever seen one, Brian? I have not. Have you? I guess you have. If yeah, you're asking me. Uh, yeah. In at the Biodome in Montreal, they have them. And uh, oh yeah, then I guess I have seen them. I just didn't monstrous. pay much attention. Yeah, they huge. are. And I can see how if somebody saw that breaking the surface, they would freak out because these things are big. Yeah, they're almost seven feet long according to the article and weigh up to two hundred forty pounds. Right? Yeah, so and that's, they are prehistoric looking, which is how yeah. the article describes it. By the way, speaking of this article. I think I'm going to go back and read some of the other stuff because I really enjoyed this. Yeah, the two books he has listed at the bottom, I definitely want to check out. But yeah, uh, there's also the, the, the interesting notion, you know, like talk about just beyond the, the monsters themselves is like the implication of why people are seeing this, right? Because lakes are usually shallow, um, respectively shallow pieces of water that don't have um, the same allure or same fear that like going to the ocean might. Well, yeah, because the ocean feels like if you're far enough, it's like an infinite depth over there. It's not infinite, obviously, but like it's for all intents and purposes, it's it, it's infinite because there's no way you'll reach down there. No, exactly. I mean, listen, like we we haven't even discovered the bottom, and like, well, I was gonna hypothesize that like actually, uh, we as humans are actually missing out on a series of interconnected tunnels that these uh, cryptids use in order to appear in different places. You, you, I wasn't gonna play that. I part. mean, you're you're um, watching Legacy of Monsters, aren't you? <laughs> I'm not. But oh, I know. But, that, I mean, you I know, know, you know the yes. theory behind that because the theory exists. Yes, yeah. absolutely, the theory exists. I know all about that, right? And about like how Mariana's Trench is just, you know, a way station for all of these different creatures, and uh, they have a clubhouse there and they hang out. I love the idea of the, uh, you know, the united force of uh, Lake Cryptids having little meetings with a little notary. Someone taking the minutes. Someone using Roger, <laughs> Robert's rules in order to rule their meetings. Godzilla with his little arms. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, it talks about the fear of the unknown, right? In a very micro sense, right? Because lakes usually aren't gigantic bodies of water. They don't move the same way a river would, right? Um, they're known for their stillness. They're known for their relative quiet. But still, the idea of your next door lake monster is almost quaint and is a way to, uh, to assuage, you know, to, uh, to sort of like quell the fears in you, the unknown, the relatively speaking unknown. And like, look at the names, right? Bessie, Nessie, Champ. Yeah. Manfrey, like very cutesy names. The article quoted Mark Fisher talking about how the eerie is defined as the feeling of there being presence where there should be absence or absence where there should be presence. And that really stood out to me. Yeah, that was a really good quote. And so much so that I think I'm going to go buy that book. He's, uh, the author passed away just before the book was published. And uh, I think I want to, I, I think I'm going to get it. I added, should my, we, we should do an episode on that. Well, I, I added it to my wish list. It's very up your alley, Brian, because it is, it is basically, it's not necessarily about the paranormal. It's about pop culture and stuff. Yeah, but that's fine. Yeah, yeah. I just picked up a book about the 18th century, uh, English people and the Illuminati that I want to read. Um, but that's thinking about maybe turning to an episode. But this makes me think of, lakes as being like liminal spaces right that yeah. the whole idea of the liminal space is something that is inherently creepy and eerie and you know like like 
like I put this in the notes, picture yourself being alone on the shore of a lake and how much dread would that bring on you? So much so that it would uh, like incite you to see something maybe that's not necessarily there or make something of something else. So a lake sturgeon popping out, you see a monster or something in the sky. It's a UFO going to the lake chatting with the monsters in the lake. They're all from They're all aliens anyway. How would you feel on the shore of a lake all alone? I personally like love those situations, but I know I'm not the norm. And I do know that a lot of people would feel like, engulfed. And I do mean that pun intended with the idea of standing there all alone, especially if it's evening or night and the moon's out. And you can't really see everything. I'm getting goosebumps just even thinking about being out all alone you know it's like sort of like the, it would be perfect on like a july night where it's not really cold it would still if you're all alone and you're right like there's no lights or anything you're just the stars the moon and you're there with the creepiness yeah the still like this this like weird like and i think hearing the sense of stillness in this case right is is a very apt way of feeling because you don't know a lot of this comes down to to thinking versus knowing, right? Or knowing versus understanding. So you know that you're perhaps not alone, but do you understand clearly that you are not alone? Like your part of your body, like your defense mechanisms kind of are always like on guard in those cases, I think, right? Definitely. And that's, again, what makes lim- – like we've gone from lake monsters to liminal spaces. No, that's fine. We'll but circle I, back. Yeah, it, but that is – what makes those spaces creepy be them just a transition from like you know if you're walking across the street and nobody's there for some reason or walking through an alley to another part of a crowded town while you're in that sad little lonely alley it's a liminal space that's really odd because you're in the middle of a busy place and there's nothing there or i remember my wife and i walking in the train station we we had stayed late downtown and we were taking the last train and there was nobody in the train station at the time, even though yeah. it was that late. It was like 7.45, but I'm usually there when it's super busy and there was nobody and it was yeah. a really odd sensation. So a lot of this I've realized and like, you know, you had like a pretty regular upbringing, I assume. Definitely. Right? Really okay. almost, you know that I'm really like too regular. Yes. So let's talk about knowing, right? So for example, like let's take lake monsters for example, right? The same itch in your brain that's telling you there may be a lake monster is the same brain itch that you get when you're playing hide and seek and you are hiding. Oh, that's that's a good point. Because like in those cases, not the like homicidal killer kind of like idea, but the case that like you may see something interesting or you may be found out by this like beast, right? Because there are no known, um, um, you know, lake monster killings. Like, out of all the cryptids, they seem the most harmonious and pleasant to be around in theory. Yes, and I added a question to the show notes for you, and this kind of really segues into it. There's no horror movies about Loch Ness Monster-type creatures, is there really? The only thing I could think of was Lake Placid, and when I looked it up, it wasn't even a lake monster, really, it was just a giant crocodile. Yeah. So there's nothing really, because they seem friendly, sort of like... I can't. I can never remember his name, but in the Mario Brothers games, there's Plessy or something, and in Super Mario 3D World, you jump on his back and slide right. down a thing. But th- that's like a super happy-go-lucky type monster, and that's what they always seem to be. And I don't feel there's ever been any. Well, I mean, there's giant snakes, right? Anaconda, which but I was yeah, thinking about but that's today. not the same thing. I'm I'm thinking no. the the like almost plesiosaur type thing, even though we know and what the article mentions is that they can't hold their necks up like that based on right. research we've done now. But what is it about lake monsters that doesn't inherently make them 
necessarily scary, like, for example, a chupacabra sighting or a Bigfoot sighting. Because they're known as more predatory creatures, right? That, that's the thing. Is that like, and like, also something that, that I think we need to recognize is that these on-land cryptids can come and get you more easily than a lake monster would have to jump out and make their way uh, off of the sand or off of the grassy part in order to come get you. And that's never the case. That was the point I was also going to bring up is that they're inherently more scary if you're alone in a boat. Yeah. Uh, there's a couple of like lake monster ones I can think of, including Bog from like the late 70s okay. is one. And then let me just look up another one. To, like I can't remember what it actually is in the end. So let me just – no, okay. So no, he's uh, – so the last broadcast from 98 is more so about hunting the Jersey Devil. Okay, that's what I thought. Um, so that's not the case. But yeah, there's – I mean there's like a couple. Anaconda doesn't count. Some of the variants on Piranha I guess don't count either, right? Because you're looking for a larger monster. Yeah, no, this is not the yeah. same thing. But – I feel like they're, the, they're, I guess they're the friendliest of all paranormal cryptid type creatures or perceived uh, one anyway. One thing we could actually talk about, but that's like, it's mostly, uh, it's also on land is um, the 2006 Korean film, The Host, which has a cryptid, uh, which emerges from like water continually in order to like get people. Okay. No, I've never seen that movie. I've heard of it, but I've never seen it. Yeah. Like if you go see a picture, like the, the actual cover of it is like, the host emerging from the water um even though like it ends up on land and stuff like i remember seeing that in theaters and, and loving it it's like um it's like a dark comedy i guess or like more comedic it's a lot of fun to watch but yeah coming back to lake monsters coming back to the idea of the eerie right like and i, I love that definition of the eerie because like it's something that you you know you're in a situation where you expect a certain outcome or or you expect uh, uh there to not be a certain outcome and that's kind of the inference of like safety at the end of the day yeah well the the eeriest video game i've played in a long time is dredge have you played that game have you heard i of haven't it? but i know what you're talking about go watch some play playthroughs of it on youtube because it is incredibly creepy and really well done we can also talk about silent hell the original one right because more so but this thing makes more sense because it's but this makes more sense because it takes place on a lake right Right. right, like right. It, it, in this case, it, it's it's really tied into the fact that you know how we're saying that lake monsters aren't necessarily creepy, but I feel like the whole being alone on a lake because you're literally alone on a whole like you're surrounded by a liminal space, so the whole thing is creepy, and part of dredge and how it works at making it scary and creepy is that your your character in the game is slowly losing its sanity. Yeah. That's a really interesting point. I was just thinking back now to um, a different type of movie. Let's talk about the slasher for a sec. Let's talk about Jason Voorhees right in front of the 13th of franchise. Uh, like Crystal Lake. He's Crystal Lake, firstly, but then also like the connection to the lake itself, right? Because that is where he drowns. And also like he gets um, sent to the bottom of the lake and then reincarnated by lightning. Like there's all these like weird kind of like um, interesting um, uh, ties to the aquatic and in the Friday the 13th franchise. Like, you know, uh, part eight jason takes manhattan where it's like there's actually like one shot of manhattan like still happens largely in the boat on the way to new york and then also in the sewer system right so there's a lot of water imagery there too so i feel like um jason Voorhees may be my favorite water-based cryptid huh. have you seen all the friday the 13th movies yes they're not all available everywhere, right? Like it's they're hard to find in some cases. So because there's like different distributors, yeah. Some of them are Paramount. Um, the problem is that like I own the Blu-ray box set that came out from Screen Factor a couple of years ago, so I have them all. Okay, but it is hard to track down because I have a few on Paramount Plus, yeah. and I think there are a few on Tubi. There but were, I'm not there sure. Were I know there were, I, but they might be gone. But there's definitely some on 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 Paramount Plus, 
And because I, I would like to watch them all, because I don't think I've seen them all. No, they're all gone. And Tubi, it looks like, and they're I don't know really much the lore. I've seen the first one several times, and yes. that's with the mom. Yep. And then Jason appears at Ascends. the yeah. Well, at the end of that one, he shows up right, like he yes. jumps out of the, the lake. Yeah. But and then from Friday the Thirteenth Part Two and on. Because, yeah. like, for example, I have no idea why he wears a hockey mask. Like, what's the point of that? I have he no idea it. why. His face is disfigured. Okay, and and he just found it. And why is he so big? Wasn't he like a scrawny kid described <laughs> as a scrawny kid? Right. Yeah. So that his size, depending on who's playing him, constantly like it changes a lot of the time, which makes me laugh. Uh, the third one is like one of these cash grab 3D entries. So there are multiple shots of the movie of like um, things coming close to the camera and then like backing yeah. up, which makes me laugh. Um, there's like uh, um, some interesting like psychic stuff that goes on and then of course there's jason x which is just uh, in jason space. In space with a cameo from david cronenberg i mean i've seen that one and i remember yeah. some poor woman getting her face frozen yeah exactly and then there's also the remake from 2009 that i actually really liked that's with the dude from uh, supernatural yeah with jerry padalecki yeah yeah i i don't know if i've watched it it keeps popping up for me on netflix and you said it's really good so maybe i'll watch I, it in terms of like a, a remake it's not as like weird and bad as most of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre ones because they keep trying to reboot the franchise every like ten. Yeah, five, ten I've years seen a few point. of them and they've been fine. Uh, I never saw the the Nightmare on Elm Street reboot with Jack okay. Carroll. It's not as good. Okay. Yeah, I mean he's good at it. It's not necessarily like the classic Freddy you expect, right? So. He's not funny from what I understood. No, exactly. Yeah, so there's a, a lot more there, but I, I enjoyed that for what it was. I haven't watched actually in like. Oh, wow. Maybe I should fix that. But uh, yeah, all that to say, I think Jason may be my favorite aquatic-based cryptid. Like, if you were to define a cryptid, how would you describe it, right? Cryptid. Yeah, I mean, it makes sense. Definitely. He's The thing is, is that Jason we know used to be human. That's the only issue yeah. there. Is it like swamp uh, thing we know is not human. But he's from a swamp. But I guess he's water-based. Are, okay, would you describe? Uh, I guess we could also argue that like all humans are animals, right? Because the definition from Mir Webster is an animal that has been claimed to exist but never proven to exist. Okay, so Jason Voorhees, but with Jason Voorhees was proven to exist though, right? Like he had, well, but his, he his, yeah, and then he died. So like his his reincarnated hockey wearing yeah. hockey mask yeah. wearing himself is is the one that were. So you've never seen Jason goes to hell, right? I guess uh, no, I've seen that one. So I think okay. I. So it's like the in between. Friday the 13th. I would love to hear your thoughts on like when you watch four or five. Um, Five might make you mad though, but I'd be very curious to hear. Because Jason Goes to Hell ends with Freddy Krueger's hand popping out, right? And that sets up the whole thing of Freddy versus Jason, which I know I've seen. So one of my favorite authors currently is a man named Dustin McNeil. And what he has done is he puts out a series of books. So this one's called Slash of the Titans. And this is about the sordid history of the aborted attempts to make Freddy versus Jason throughout the years. And so that was in development hell for a long time. A long time, yeah. So yeah. shocking and, uh, that he, it came out. He also he's also written two uh, separate books about the Halloween franchise. The first one is the making of the first Halloween one, and the second one is the like twenty or so unmade Halloween projects that were in production at one point. I mean, ha- Halloween two is one I've never seen, and it's it was basically sort of an anthology, but not really. Three, you're talking about three. So two, two is uh, picks up right where the first movie ends, oh, and so then three, three is season of the witch. Yeah, okay, I love. We watched it actually uh, during um, the Halloween season last year, Steph and I. And she's not a big horror person, but she actually didn't mind it. Oh, fun. It also has one of my favorite actors, Tom Atkins. Like, if you go stare at him for a couple of minutes, he has, like, the best 80s mustache. He's been in so many movies. He was uh, in The Fog, Escape from New York, 
uh, Creep Show, Halloween Three, Night of the Creeps, Maniac Cop. Like he's been in so many movies that I love, um, and he seems like a very pleasant man. I remember watching The Fog as a kid on TV. It was like a you know back in the day when they would show movies on TV with commercials. Yes, remember that? Yeah, and they had they had television, and it's like the Halloween box set actually has a fairly different version of Halloween Two, which was the the made for TV version that has like extensive like different shots and sequences. So there's like there's like a I think it's like a thirty minute difference or whatever. Yeah, because it was such, such a thing of a, as a TV edit back then. And my like my favorite is the swear words. Like whenever you hear the swear words being edited, I yippee kaye, my friend. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Or yippee kaye, Mister Falcon was another one. <laughs> But yeah, all that to say that like maybe maybe we've discovered something here tonight. Maybe we've discovered that uh, Jason uh, may count as a cryptid, and I, I embrace him for this. Maybe we should actually do an episode on Freddy versus Jason and talk about the book as like the um, the framing uh, sequence. I I haven't seen it in ages, so I think it would be kind of fun for me to rewatch it. Let's do it, and then maybe if we could watch one sequel, one Nightmare on Elm Street sequel, and then one Friday the Tur- the Thirteenth sequel. Yeah, I'll have um, to see randomly. which ones are available. Like not the not the original ones, not the like not the the OG ones, but like stand up, like the weirder ones. Yeah, we'd have to figure out which ones and where they're available. But yeah, that'd be kind of fun to do. I think we've we've sidetracked long enough, Angelo, to uh, bring episode two fifty six to an end. Do you know where people can find us? Like, I know this has been a couple of weeks. Do you can you tell people where double density dot net is the best place to go? Because I think all our links to everything is there. They are, and uh, you can fill out a form and write to us. Uh, Brian takes care of social media, for example, Threads. And, oh, yeah, we're on Threads. And, in, uh, in order of usage, I'm on, we're on Instagram, Threads, and Twitter. Twitter X is Twitter in space, like Jason X. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's Elon Musk in space with David Cronenberg. Well, because I right Twitter X space X. That's yeah. That's that's what he's trying to aim for. Yeah, and uh, let's not talk about that garbage fire because I'm not on there anymore much. It was funny. I realized I only check Twitter like every two to three days. I mean, I check it never anymore. So that's great. But I mean, look, I like being, I like not being on social media. So when people ask me why I'm not on social media, I just reply because I'm better than you. Yeah. And then you push them over. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's good for you. It's you can great. also uh, go to the contact form over on doubledensity.net and uh, fill that out. It brings Angelo such joy in his little demon heart when you send in a piece of mail for him to speculate upon. You know, it also brings me joy. Happy New Year. Happy New Year, Angelo. I was waiting till the end, actually, to, okay. to tease you with that. Our friend Rob has been sending me Happy New Year's messages every day, every, day every morning diligently. at 5 a.m. Which is great. Yeah. I wake up to this great conversation every day. Yeah, it's wonderful. But yes, I was waiting to the end to do that. But that's that's okay. Um, yeah, this has been it for episode 256 of Double NC. Tune in next week as you and I continue to wonder if perhaps Freddy Krueger is not just an embodiment of the id in all of us. Angela, I will see you there, my friend, and also in my dreams. Happy New Year, Brian. 